Hello there, Peter Mansbridge here. You're just moments away from the latest episode of The Bridge. It is Wednesday. That means smoke, mirrors, and the truth with Bruce Anderson and today, Justin Trudeau. Yes, hello there. Wednesday, Peter Mansbridge here. Bruce Anderson is in Ottawa. Hey there. It's great to hear your voice and see your lovely Zoom face. And it's especially nice to get top billing over the prime minister. That's pretty cool. I, my kids are going to love hearing that. Well, the big prime minister interview is coming up an hour from now on Sirius XM, uh, one o'clock Eastern in the afternoon. Um, but we're going to run, uh, you know, a significant excerpt today and talk about it. But before I get there, I've got to talk about one of the common themes that people have talked about over the last year of the pandemic and this is more of an aside really to lighten the mode lighten the mood and lighten is the key word here because it sounds like not a lot of people have been doing it there's been a big study on weight gain during the pandemic have you gained weight in the last year i mean you know the the expression the sort of quarantine 15 have you gained? Every day's a battle. Every day's a battle, Peter. I'm one of the, the fortunate people that, you know, I can do my work sitting at a desk all day uh, at home, and I do. And I'm also fortunate enough that I'm, I was able to uh, buy a bike that shall remain nameless unless that bike manufacturer wants to be an advertiser at some point in the future. <laughs> um, and I, so I kind of tiptoe downstairs every once in a while just to try to offset the uh, uh, corrosive to my health effects of sitting so long and eating so relatively well. So has it worked? Well, you. Well, you know, I had, you know, I've tried all of that. Um, I haven't been quite as systematic on on the bike front as you have been um and i've gone through periods of losing weight and clearly i've gone through periods of gaining weight as well the study shows this new study out of among other places the university of california this was written up in the new york times yesterday um shows the average weight gain is half a pound pound every 10 days Two pounds a month, that works out too. Wow, that's a lot. That is a I lot. I don't think that's I've had a lot. That experience. How long has this been? I don't want to know, though. <laughs> this I has don't been, check on this regularly. This has been 12, 12 months. That's 24 pounds. I think I'm under that, but not by much. I've definitely put on weight. And you know, it's funny when you look in the mirror sometimes, instead of getting on the scales, you look in the mirror, if you look head on, you go, that's not bad. I, I, I look fine. <laughs> As long you as you don't do a profile, too. Yeah. as long as you don't do a profile, that's not good. <laughs> now, uh, we interviewed the prime minister. I interviewed the prime minister yesterday, sort of late afternoon, early evening. And we did it by Zoom. He was in his office in the, um, in the West Block on Parliament Hill. And I was here in beautiful downtown Stratford. Uh, so we did it by Zoom. And I mentioned that because what... <laughs> There's an interesting Prime Minister and Zoom story today, which shows at times the perils of this, that it, get, that it can be too, too easy, especially when you're talking in sort of your crowd. And the Prime Minister in this case was Boris Johnson. In Britain, he was talking to a bunch of conservatives, and they were talking about 
the successes and failures of the past year and they got around to talking about the vaccines which as far as bojo is concerned is a major success and he lets out the line that the success of the vaccine is being because of greed and capitalism so that didn't go over so well when it got leaked out he says he was joking He says he was joking that he was making a play off the movie Wall Street. Uh, not everybody agrees with that. Yeah. You know, like, I, Peter, I, I read that story, and, and I had this feeling like, you're right, that when you're having a Zoom conversation and a podcast, it doesn't, it feels more intimate. It feels more secure. People let their guard down. Uh, in ways that they don't when they're in these more formal settings. And um, so I think that could be part of it. But I also had this this feeling like, look, he said greed and capitalism, but obviously he doesn't believe that all capitalism is greed, um, or at least I'd be very surprised if he does. Uh, I don't think that capitalism equals greed. I think capitalism comes in many forms and some capitalists are greedy. But if we didn't have capitalism, we wouldn't have companies that have built up. Well, I suppose one could make the case that there could be state-owned corporations that would have been able to uh, to make these vaccines. But I think it's a reasonable argument that capitalism helped build competition among these companies that became so big and so successful and so good at what they do that we were able to get to a solution uh, to this pandemic more quickly. And even just on a local scale, I find it hard to uh, get up every day and and kind of encourage myself and people I know to buy from local businesses, which are capitalist businesses, and to then say capitalism is greed. So I think he was joking. I think it was an overreaction to try to take him to the woodshed for uh, for that comment. Um, And uh, I think it's kind of indicative of the time that we're in that people make sport of something like that even though it's probably not a real story well we didn't have any capitalist uh, or greed moments in the uh, interview with uh, prime minister trudeau but there are moments um and that's why i you know we're going to run an excerpt here uh, five or six minutes from right off the top of the interview because it deals with one of the issues that most canadians are really upfront on right now and that is the pandemic and the vaccine supply and all that so we're going to start with that, but I encourage you to listen to the full interview because there are moments throughout this interview, um, and I, you know, I think the Prime Minister was engaged for this kind of a discussion, a podcast, really, kind of discussion. He was quite relaxed and uh, and sort of got into the mood uh, gradually over the uh, thirty-eight minutes. I think the the full interview runs. But here's one thing. I've talked about this before, and it's something that I say when I do interview classes with um, journalism students, that one of the things I look for and try to encourage to happen through the questions that are asked is hearing a pause in terms of the answer. And when you hear a pause, the person being interviewed pauses before they give an answer, it it signals to me that they're really having to think about what they're going to say, as opposed to just drop the message track, the you know kind of pre-recorded answer that they they have in their head from the various briefings and um, and, and attempts to get ready for an interview. And this happened um, more than a few times during this interview. It happens once during this excerpt. So listen for the pause because those are interesting moments. 
And then obviously what follows is, is more interesting the, about the pause signals. Okay, they're really thinking about this. So, Peter, can I, just yep, before sure. you roll that tape, I, I want to pick up on that if I can and just add something, which is I have done at different times in the past, um, I don't know, some people call it media training. I tend to think of it presentation training, that sort of thing. And it is definitely one of the things that I try to encourage people to do is to is to not feel that you need to jump on a question with an answer right away. If it, if it, if it helps you to take that second or two to pause and think about, pose your answer a little bit. So it, sometimes it can seem performative, but really it's just encouraging people to let their brain do the work before the mouse starts to engage. And I, and I did, uh, so I noticed that in the interview and I also noticed, and I, it'll be interesting to to see if our listeners notice this too. I've been kind of watching the prime minister a little bit less regularly lately. I see him on TV for sometimes. And I say to the people I'm supposed to, I want him to get a haircut. (laughs) I feel like he's, you know, maybe got COVID brain like me some days where I'm feeling a little bit kind of oppressed by everything and wishing it would all be over. And so I want him to shave and get a haircut because it will send a signal to me that, He's got a higher level of energy and a higher level of optimism because I want to have those things too. But when I listened to this interview, I couldn't see him. I couldn't see the shaggy hair. I couldn't see the scruffy salt and pepper beard that's occasionally weighing on me. You're just jealous. I just listened to somebody <laughs> whose brain seemed pretty clear and who seemed pretty articulate about the issues. And I was like, okay, he's got some energy there. Anyway, let's listen to the tape and, and see if other people agree with that. Okay. I, and I would agree with your, your earlier statement about pauses. I don't think it was, they're performative. I think, I think they're truly and maybe they're, you know, others have taken your advice on this and that they're thinking about what they're going to say before they answer. And hey, there's no harm in doing that, especially when it's a question that you're not, you really want to take that extra second or two to, to ensure that you're going to say what you really mean and what you really feel. So anyway, here we go with uh, this interview. Once again, it was done uh, last night with the prime minister. Prime Minister, let's start on the uh, on the pandemic. Where do you think we are on this journey right now? Uh, have we started to emerge from the darkness? I think we are starting to emerge from the darkness. There's no question about it. It's been a, a long, tough winter. Uh, the arrival of, of vaccines is really good news, but it's it's almost like you know one of those bad movies where as you get close to the end, uh, there's one last danger, and that's these variants that are coming really uh, really hard and heavy and uh, much more transmissible. So we have to hang in there, even though we're all exhausted. We have to continue to be careful uh, because these new new variants are are uh, are you know peaking up in a way that is is worrisome. But at the same time, we've seen that the vaccines arriving in our most vulnerable uh, has uh, has protected a lot of people. Uh, we just have to make sure that this race between variants and vaccines uh, uh, is won by the vaccines. So until that does happen, are, are we in control or are we sort of not quite in control? I mean, have we... <sighs> Have we ever not been in control or have we ever been in control? I think 
we can control our behaviors. We can control the choices we make as individuals. Certainly as a government, we've uh, made the choice to be there to support people as much as necessary through this. Uh, but the, the pandemic is, uh, the virus is moving, moving quickly, is adapting. Um, we just have to stay, uh, stay smart and stay uh, focused on getting through this. All right. Let's talk about vaccines because you've mentioned them a couple of times and obviously they're, they're the great savior, at least as far as a lot of people are concerned. Uh, are you satisfied with the current pace of vaccines? No, I think we need to vaccinate 7 billion people yesterday in order to this pandemic to be over. Um, we need to move faster. But what has what we've actually seen when, if you remember last year in the spring and the summer, people saying, yeah, vaccines will be the way through this. But the chances of developing a vaccine uh, within a few years are uh, are, are really slim uh, because vaccines take a long time to develop and everyone would list all sorts of different diseases that still haven't uh, found the right vaccines for. And what we saw was an incredible effort by a whole bunch of different scientists and, and pharmaceutical companies and countries uh, to lever an unprecedented levels of resources to developing vaccines. And you know, we invested in, in some Canadian options, but we also knew that uh, spreading our net wide to make sure that whatever vaccine hit first or hit best, uh, Canada would have a piece of it was very much our approach. And uh, so far, I think that's, that's borne out. Well, let's talk, let's talk about that because as you well know, there are some people who feel that we didn't get enough and we don't have enough. I mean, the premier of Ontario again this week saying, you know, they, the, the feds aren't getting us enough vaccine. You know, we we're ready to put it in arms and we can't get enough. Uh, and when you look at the overall numbers for vaccines in Canada versus the states, and I'm hesitant about comparing anything to the states because there are a lot of things we don't, you know, they don't look too good on when we compare. But on the vaccine question, they do look good. I mean, they've got basically one out of three Americans has been vaccinated already. We're looking at more like one out of nine, one out of ten. Why the Gulf? And what do you say to people like Doug Ford? Well, I think, first of all, we have to recognize that the Americans have a domestic pharmaceutical industry that's producing millions upon millions of vaccines uh, every single week. Uh, and we don't have that in Canada. And it's not something we could have stood up uh, in the you know year since the pandemic was declared. So we knew we were going to be reliant on uh, international supply chains. And we uh, cast our net wide, knowing that we are a you know, moderately big country, but not one of the biggest, uh, with a small population compared to a lot of countries in the world that uh, needs uh, needs to uh, make sure that we're we're you know drawing enough interest from the big pharmaceuticals and. I think we did reasonably well. I think we did as well as any Canadian government could have. Um, would we love to have gotten more? Will we continue to fight to accelerate to bring in more vaccines every single day? Yes, that's what we're. That's what I'm on almost every week with phone calls to the various vaccine pharmaceutical uh, uh, companies, uh, CEOs. That's what our, our ministers are doing. We're trying to accelerate. And we've been able to accelerate. I mean, one of the promises we made was six million vaccines by the end of. March, and we're up at 9 million plus vaccines by the end of March, which is better. Um, so what do you say to Doug Ford? What, what do you faster? say to Ford and, and, and others, other premiers are saying, the feds aren't getting us these vaccines fast enough. We can, you know, we need more. 
Uh, uh, Canadians are saying that and I'm saying that I wish we were getting vaccines quicker, uh, but we are getting vaccines as quickly as we possibly can. And we're working to continue to accelerate them. Uh, and there, yet we are going to have everyone fully vaccinated, all adults fully vaccinated by September. Uh, and looking at the horizons that some of the provinces put forward, uh, I think it's possible that many, many Canadians have their first doses uh, by the time summer rolls around. Well, so there you go. There's the uh, excerpt we're running for uh, uh, today on Smoke, Mirrors and the Truth of uh, Prime Minister Trudeau in our interview from last night. Uh, the full interview is coming up at the top of the next hour here on Sirius XM Channel 167. Um, and there is a lot more to it, including some interesting thoughts that come in the very next answer to what we just listened to about the possibilities for July 1st. So you might want to listen to that. But we cover a lot of grounds, not just the pandemic, not just vaccines. We talk about um, the budget. We talk about an election. We talk about Russia. We talk about China. And there are some significant moments in this interview. I'm um, going to get uh, Bruce's thoughts again, but we've got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Okay, Mr. Anderson, um, you saw something in the way he was talking. Um, you've listened to the whole interview, so I, I, I imagine you have a number of observations without uh, giving everything away because there's lots, as we said, there's lots in that interview. I thought it was a really interesting interview. I was, uh, I was really happy that you had a chance to do it. And I, I should start by saying, you know, I have a lot of friends in journalism, as do you. And I've been feeling like I've been crabby with them lately and, you know, expressing my crabbiness on Twitter, which people do and probably I shouldn't do as, as much. And I try not to, but my crabbiness comes from this feeling that we're never really having a kind of a long form conversation about some of the complicated issues that are going on that too often it feels like, uh, journalists want to constantly prosecute governments, federal and provincial, for what's going wrong. And I, just as a citizen, want to hear a little bit more uh, about what are the choices that you made? How do you feel about those choices? Where, you know, where could we have done better? And in the daily joust that is the normal form of journalism, journalists and politicians, there's really not much room for that. It almost never happens right now and hasn't really happened for the better part of a year. So this was really refreshing for me that you asked all of the pertinent questions, at least the ones that, that I care about, and gave the prime minister a chance to give his answers. And surprisingly or not surprisingly, instead of being on the defensive all the time, as sometimes happens in that kind of jousting scenario, he cheerfully admitted that there were things that could have been done differently or that he's not satisfied with the pace of vaccines. So, and I found that kind of refreshing. I found it made it a more interesting conversation. I felt like we were getting below the surface of some really important issues. So that was my my kind of overall feeling is that it, what a what a relief to have a conversation that we could listen to uh, that covered that ground. And and he was willing to play ball. And I you know I thank his office, you know, for allowing us the the time with him. And I think it probably helped that it came at the end of a 
at the end of the day. I mean, he'd been in question period uh, in a couple of hours previous where the where the mood is exactly the way you described it, the sort of jousting back and forth. And that, you know, that's uh, that's part of the kind of, you know, question period game, if you wish. Uh, and both sides have played that for, for decades. Um, but so here he was later in the day. Um, I did have a chance to talk to him for a minute or so before we started. And I, you know, I just kind of reminded him of what the podcast atmosphere is, that it's, it's kind of different than the traditional, you know, accountability interview. It is more laid back. It's, uh, it's more frank. I even said to him, <laughs> I said, you know, you try not to do the spin in, you know, in a, in an interview like this. And I could see the look on his face going, really, you're going to accuse me of that like right away. Um, and you know, he fell into spin uh, on occasion. Uh, it's, it's hard not to, I think for, for people in, in that kind of a position, but for a good chunk of the interview on a lot of different subjects, uh, it wasn't spin. It was like what he actually thought. And you're right. I mean, he did, he did concede where, you know, he thought he wished things had been different and that he would have done things, uh, differently. Um, and he had some, you know, <laughs> I, I will always take away the, the moment near the end, which I encourage people to listen to, which is, uh, questions about Vladimir Putin. Talk about pauses. There's <laughs> some big pauses in there as he tries to decide, uh, how to handle those questions. Um, but nevertheless, I mean, uh, we don't want to sound like we're fawning here because he left himself open on in a number of areas, I, you know, on in, in terms of the whole uh, pandemic uh, issue, the way things started at the beginning, and his kind of reasoning that he saw as to why Canada got hit the way it did get hit. So, you know, there are some uh, moments of vulnerability in there as well. No question about it. I thought that... Uh you know, look, I think spin gets used as a, as a kind of a derogatory, it has a derogatory connotation a lot, but I mean, everybody in every industry, including journalists, when they're being interviewed about their journalism, indulge in what you might call spin, where their answers are conditioned by the, well, there's some things that I could say that would go badly for me, so I'm probably not going to say them. So, I kind of give politicians of any stripe a little bit of a pass for that because they're surrounded by this notion that people are ready to jump on anything like uh, Boris Johnson saying greed and capitalism, as we talked about before and say, aha, you're saying businesses are greedy. And when, in fact, we know that that's not really what he was trying to do. So I don't mind the, I don't mind the notion of spin, um, but I don't love interviews where the answers all seem manufactured, all seem kind of pre-calculated and almost pre-taped in the minds of the interviewee. And that's not what this was. And, and I kind of felt um, interested in a couple of uh, aspects of what he was doing. It, it, the question that you asked at the beginning are we almost through this? I forget exactly how it was put. Are we but emerging answer, from the darkness? Yeah, his answer, where he used the metaphor of a horror movie, where, you know, it's been horrible and then you think it's almost over and then there's one last big scare. I thought, well, that's an interesting metaphor and I hadn't heard him use it. Maybe he has used it before, but it, it, it resonated with me as a way to think about the opportunity to feel optimism uh, a little bit today, but not to be too optimistic. And, and it reminded me of um, an experience I had 
with a prime minister um, a couple of decades ago where I was asked to give some advice to them before they uh, called an election. And the advice that I had to offer was when you convey optimism, people believe in better things ahead. And when you convey pessimism, people worry. And uh, there's a political calculus in saying it's better to convey optimism. And that's not always the case. Opposition politicians might you know, have a different math on that. But I thought he did a good job of conveying an amount of optimism that I think people are craving right now. And I thought he, he did it early and I thought he did it reasonably often. But he was not he was not throughout that interview saying, no, we've got everything covered. We've done everything right. There's nothing to be worried about. There's no reason to wonder whether we've gotten, you know, every decision right. We, we clearly haven't. And I thought that was quite refreshing. You know, your earlier comment uh, about interviews with him in general is an interesting one. I hadn't thought of it till you raised it. And that's this issue about how he comes across on television and how he comes across basically in this situation uh, on radio. Um, because I think, I think you and I are in agreement that many of his television interviews don't necessarily come off well for him because he doesn't, I don't know what the best way of saying this is. He doesn't look sincere. He looks kind of programmed and that's part of seeing him. Right. So I'm just wondering whether this was different because he was different or because it was the fact that we weren't seeing him at the same time as we were listening to him? You know, I think it, it is probably a combination of that and a version of this other thing that I was raising, and I wasn't being all that articulate about, I think, which is that if you feel every interaction in an interview scenario is somebody, in quotes, holding you to account, then you're going to be on the defensive all the time. If you feel that an interview is about helping inform people um, or having a conversation where you can put information out and you're not overly constrained by this notion of somebody's going to take six seconds of this, four seconds of that, and kind of wrap a story around it, you have a different mindset. So I think that the, the idea of, an interview of this length and this style, because you're known for having a particular style, which I think politicians generally have felt is fair uh, and interesting and engaging for them. Um, and the fact that the format is a podcast where, you know, it, you're not standing in front of a bank of microphones and a bank of scribes with their notepads out. And this notion of all these people wanting to hold you to account which essentially means identify your weaknesses. Um, I think it's human nature if you're in that zone every day to uh, put up some defenses. And um, I remember when Justin Trudeau was running for the job of liberal leader and then prime minister, I kind of uh, annoyed some people who watched us on ad issue uh, by saying his communication style doesn't quite work for me. I don't I don't find myself really enjoying it. I felt like there was something that seemed a little bit kind of forced and almost a little bit kind of uh, overly dramatic. Um, uh, but I also recognized at that time that there were lots of other people who who quite enjoyed 
what he had to say and how he said it. And so I sort of backed off on that and, and did my job as a pollster and said, you know what, there's a lot of people who like it. It doesn't have to be for everybody, but I have come to uh, be less, um, I don't know, uh, distracted by it now. And certainly in this kind of format, I found it quite easy to listen to. I found his comments to be kind of thoughtful and engaging. And, uh, and I say that regardless of whether people might agree or disagree with the substance of what he's doing. Um, just from the experience of listening to a politician explain themselves, um, I like this format and I like the way that he approached it. You know, both uh, you and I have been lucky because we've been covering politicians of all stripes and at all levels, you know, uh, national, provincial, municipal, uh, for years, um, you know, 20, 30 years. So we've seen a lot of, uh, a lot of different styles and a, a lot of different abilities uh, paraded before. I hate to tell you, I think it's a little more than 20 or 30 years. <laughs> I know, I was trying to be nice. <laughs> um, but uh, let me put it to you this way, because it, when you talked about dealing with a, a certain prime minister, whenever it was, tw- uh, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, um, it, who, like, when you think back, who's the, and it doesn't matter which level, it could be a prime minister, it could be a premier, it could be an opposition leader, who had the ability to, to go into these kind of situations, interview situations, and uh, conduct themselves, uh, you know, for the most part, flawlessly? Do you can you think of somebody who had that that ability? Uh, lawlessly, no, I don't. Um, I'm trying to think. I, <laughs> you know, I think that Justin Trudeau's father was always interesting. Um, I don't know that I would call the style flawless, but it was flawless if the point is pay attention to me and what I have to say, because I'm going to say something interesting or I'm going to say it in a way that's going to make you sit up and pay attention. So I think he was quite effective that way, but obviously his popularity went up and down and up and down. And so it wasn't always working from the standpoint of political communication. I think Brian Mulroney had exceptional skills on some days and he also had exceptionally bad days from a communication standpoint, but overall and maybe even more so in retirement, he became really skilled at presenting his thoughts in a way that allowed people, even people who didn't like what he had to say or how he conducted himself as prime minister to listen to him and say, "Uh, that's interesting. I like what he had to say. Uh, You know, a lot of people like Jean Chrétien's style. Um, It was never exactly my uh, cup of tea. I I always found it a little bit, uh, kind of a little bit partisan in some instances and not always as thoughtful as I wanted it to sound like. And I think some of that was a device that he used um, to avoid answering extremely challenging political questions. So he was good at doing that. Everybody had different skills, I guess. And, and um, I do think one of the guys, one of the people I worked with a little bit who I thought became really good at it was Jean Charest. Uh, and I remember there was a time when he was for, he was still young in cabinet. And that experience of being a young cabinet minister generally gives politicians a, a lexicon that's overly complicated, overly bureaucratic. And so when they say things, you go, wow, that I didn't understand anything you said or it wasn't interesting the way you said it. And uh, Jean Chere became a very effective communicator. Um, and Joe Clark uh, was a pretty effective communicator as well. 
So there, there were some who were better than others, some that got better over time, some that, you know, I just never felt really excelled at that. You know, what some, about you? Well, who, is the best, who is the best that you interviewed? I don't know whether best, I'm kind of like you. I don't know whether the best is the right word to to use, but, um, you know, somebody who sat across from all of those uh, people that you've mentioned, uh, and it might have something to do with uh, the fact that I was pretty young when it, when it happened, but, I mean, I, I interviewed Pierre Trudeau, I, I guess, a half a dozen times. And uh, what I remember most about those interviews was that you really had to be on your game or he was going to make you look pretty bad, which is usually what the outcome was, uh, and not just in my case. Um, and not because he was right. It was just that he has the, had that ability uh, in an interview situation to kind of command the presence in the room. Um, and, and, and that at times was tough to fight, especially if you were like new kid on the block. Um, but it, it uh, you know, it was, it, it was always a challenge. It's funny because I used one of his phrases in the interview with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau yesterday. I didn't identify where the phrase came from, but we were having this discussion about federalism and whether it works or not. And, you know, one of the things his father used to say at times when he was frustrated by the whole debate going on at the federal provincial level, um, he, he talked about, you know, a checkerboard Canada with different rules in place and different, you know, visions of the of the country in place. And even against the opposition, remember Joe Clark had his kind of community of communities thing in the, in the late 70s, and, and Trudeau went up against that for many of the same reasons. Um, anyway, I kind of threw that on the table and I could see, because I could see him on Zoom. Um, right. You know, he could see me. And I could see him sort of, look, he, he knew where that phrase came from and, and why I was laying it on the table, but he, he didn't bite beyond that. Uh, but I, I'd probably say um, Trudeau the Elder uh, was, was certainly the most challenging uh, to Very interview. effective, yeah. yeah. You know, I was interested in a couple of other things that, um, that uh, listeners to the full interview will maybe find interesting as well, or maybe they were just interesting to me, but. Well, and just to uh, remind them, it's coming up as soon as this, uh, as, as this hour ends, we will run the full interview. And as Bruce says, there's a lot more to it, but make a couple of points before we go. Yeah. Uh, look, one of the things that he said that, that is in the clip that, that we just played is he said, were we ever really in control or were we, were we ever really not in control? And I thought, what an interesting way to describe the dynamic where, you know, we might have felt this thing was out of control, but looked at from a different standpoint, a lot of the factors that that mattered were within our control as individuals. So it wasn't just a question of whether government could control all the moving parts, it's whether we as people are living in this um, pluralistic mobile society we're doing everything we could to exercise control and i thought he said that in a way it was a very interesting point and he said it in a way that wasn't really accusatory but it was a bit revelatory it was a reminder that we all have um a role to play in as we as we close out this pandemic with this race between variants and vaccines of making choices that put us in more control. So I thought that was quite a good point. And uh, the other thing I wanted to say is that on the big questions of government stimulus coming up or already done, federalism and how does it work? 
which are in other parts of this interview, I was reminded of the fact that I, I've been trying to, in my own mind, think, has this prime minister made mostly the right calls during this pandemic? Uh, or has he made a lot of mistakes or has he been motivated by political considerations or is he thinking a lot about it? Is he talking to people who are experts? Is he is he kind of filtering a lot of advice uh, before he makes these decisions? And, you, you know, this was a note that my general kind of feeling is I think he has been making mostly the right calls. And what I got from the interview made me feel even a little bit more reassured and not everybody's going to agree. And I know a lot of people think, Oh, I'm just a kind of a, a flack for Justin Trudeau or the liberals, that sort of thing. And that's not really where I come from. But in this case, when I heard him talk about the economic policy choices, when I heard him talk about federalism, you have to deal with Canada as it is uh, not imagine another Canada where, you know, the federal government can do a lot of things that it can't actually do. I thought they were all interesting answers. I thought they were all kind of revealing of somebody who was doing the work of the job uh, rather than just doing the work of the the public persona uh, of prime minister, if, if you know what I mean. I think I do. But I think you're also right is that different people are going to look at this uh, interview differently because, as I said earlier, there are a number of uh, spots in there that uh, do leave him open uh, to criticism, and yep. it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in the uh, in the days ahead. Okay, look, thanks, Bruce, and uh, thank you for listening today. Keep in mind the full interview is coming up, and it will be aired a number of times on SiriusXM over the next few days. Uh, but today at one o'clock Eastern, and then again at five o'clock Eastern, uh, you'll have your chance to uh, listen. And once again, uh, I know a number of you have written to me. If you go online right now to SiriusXM.ca slash Peter Mansbridge, you can access that uh, program, the interview special, uh, for free. Uh, you get a month free right now, and all you got to do is put in your email. You don't have to fill out credit card information or anything like that, just your email and you'll get access to uh, listening to it uh, for free um, for a month. And there are also other offers there uh, over time for that. The podcast, the bridge, um, the uh, smoke mirrors and the truth are always available to you um, at no cost through whichever format you choose, either on Sirius XM or whether uh, it's on um, your favorite uh, podcast platform. So that's how you can always access the bridge uh, at no cost on the platform of your choice. Uh, all right, that's it for now. Thursday, tomorrow, two things to keep in mind. It's the Potpourri edition of The Bridge, and then later on in the day uh, on SiriusXM, exclusive to SiriusXM, but once again available on this you know free trial offer, uh, is Good Talk with Chantal Hébert and Bruce Anderson. we got a number of topics tomorrow. We'll probably talk a little bit about Trudeau as well, Aaron O'Toole's, uh, you know, weekend at errands last weekend. And there's a big decision coming out of the Supreme Court tomorrow morning. Uh, and so we will talk about that one as well. Uh, that's it for today. I'm Peter Mansbridge for Bruce Anderson. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll talk to you again uh, in 24 hours. 